Welcome to the Inside Wind podcast, the people behind the science at the MRC Weatherall Institute of Molecular Medicine at the University of Oxford, an institute we affectionately know as the WIM. Today we have a throwback episode, an interview we released on our YouTube channel back in December 2021. In it, we meet Professor Hal Drakesmith from the MRC Human Immunology Unit and Associate Professor John Wade from the Department of Earth Sciences. We explore their collaboration, how they investigated how planetary iron shaped biological evolution. Enjoy the podcast. The conversation started off about football. And unfortunately, team I support is mostly useless. And we moved on from football to, to work. And that's really where it came across. Right? So after, after the beer had been drunk mostly. And we suddenly realised that we had something in common, and that thing was iron, although we came to it from entirely different places. But we had a lot of conversations, and uh, we realised that we actually had, if we put together the concepts that John was familiar with and the concepts that I was familiar with, we matched them up, we actually came up with something that appeared to be original and excited both of us. And so we turned it into a manuscript. Uh, my name's John Wade. I'm the Associate Professor of Planetary Materials in the Department of Earth Sciences at Oxford. Well, my interest is really uh, understanding um, how the Earth's core formed. Um, why is the Earth different to, say, Mars and, and Venus and Mercury in terms of its iron content of its rocks? Um, and that's really where how's interest in iron kicks in and that's where the overlap is is you know the, the iron in the rocks becomes the iron that life uses i'm hal drake smith i'm professor of iron biology at the weatherall institute of molecular medicine and uh, my lab works on the role of iron in uh, the immune system and how iron deficiency happens and how anemia happens and how iron influences infectious diseases iron's really useful in biology, it's absolutely critical for um, mediating catalysis and metabolic processes. So um, it appears when you go back in in time and look at very ancient uh, organisms and you that still survive today, you can see that a lot of the basic building blocks of biology are iron dependent. So things like generation of energy, um, making DNA carrying oxygen in the body and in cells, all of those need iron. And that's the same for almost every single form of life. The paper kind of comes at it from, comes at this as a narrative tale of different roles of iron in evolution of life. Iron is cosmochemically abundant. It's the last thing that stars make before they go pop or, or um, um, sort of stop being useful stars. Um, so it's cosmochemically very abundant. That is, there's a lot of iron kicking around in the universe at this point in time. The amount of iron in the planet is really, in the rocks, is really governed by the processes that go on right at the very, very start of, a cre of, of planetary formation. So as the Earth's first forming out of this sort of planetary building blocks, these meteorites, it's being sort of all falling together and starting to heat up and melt. The amount of iron in the rocks is really governed by the chemical and physical conditions of that process. You then have a very different atmosphere at the dawn of the planet than you have now. It didn't have any oxygen in the atmosphere. And the consequence for that is that in the early seas, in those deep Archean seas four billion years ago, when we think we have water, when we know we have water around, iron was soluble in seawater. So there was about five orders of magnitude more iron floating around in those seas when life first started to get its act together and form than there was now, than there is now, because of the rise of oxygen. To begin with, iron is absolutely critical for setting the conditions that life can develop. 
um, and it's soluble in water and it promotes biochemistry. And so simple life can get going. But then you take the iron away. What happens then? You have to adapt. And any behavior that enables an organism to get hold of iron when it's difficult to get hold of is going to give a really big selective advantage. This event around sort of you know two billion years ago, this was what we term as the great oxidation event, and it wasn't that great. But what it was a bit of oxygen ends up in the atmosphere, and it's a small amount of oxygen, but actually has a massive consequence for the amount of iron, certainly the amount of iron in the surface seawaters of the seas around at that time, because that iron then becomes oxidised, and oxidised iron isn't soluble it just rains out and we see this in the rocks we have these things called banded iron formations um, they occur throughout history but there's a big sort of peak of them around about sort of two billion years and that's this kind of soluble iron raining out and that it has implications for life and that's really where house interests or then house sort of research really kicks in it's around that point you've got this evolutionary sort of driver um, you know you've got this resource limitation that the earth has imposed on life and to some extent life is imposed on itself what John and I were realizing when we were talking about the oxygenation event, um, the great oxygenation event, and then the subsequent one, the neo-proterozoic oxygenation event, is that this was having an unbelievable effect on the amount of iron available at planetary scale. Uh, gigatons of iron were suddenly, relatively suddenly becoming unavailable to the areas of the, of the planet where there was most life, so the photic zone and the surface of the planet. What effect would that have? And it's really hard to know, but what we do know is that it was at that time that, in, that evolution made enormous bounds. So development of eukaryotic life, um, multicellular life, um, evidence of predation, um, infectious events, symbiosis, all of these things appeared to occur after the oxygenation events of the planet. So these are big evolutionary leaps and of course you know, evolution is really complex and iron can't possibly be the only thing that, that really is governing this. But I don't think anybody, as far as we could tell, had really thought about iron in these terms as a kind of a, you know, a, 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 a planetary scale event uh, and affecting evolution. How life has, has dealt with these environmental uh, restrictions that's had, it's had placed on it, this loss of iron. And it's come up with some quite nice mechanisms like, you know, sharing and cooperating and have some of my iron and have some of your iron. But it's also come up with some quite aggressive ones that have also been very successful. One of the things that we study in the lab is that these days iron's actually very hard to get hold of uh, uh, as an organism because it's insoluble and it's not floating around in, in water. Um, and usually one organism tries to steal it from another. So you can't get it from the environment, you've actually got to steal it from another um, organism. And that is infection. Uh, and infection is essentially, you know, if a bug infects you, it isn't interested really in killing you, it's interested in stealing your resources, uh, using you as a source of food. And a key nutrient that, that organisms need in that concept of infection is iron. Iron is the kind of the most important nutrient that host and pathogens fight over and so we were really familiar with this concept it's something that we think about you know on a daily basis in the lab in terms of an infection in a person and the genes and cells that mediate the the response to the infection and i think that's what i found really really interesting is it's life is telling us about events that went on in earth's rock history that we don't record within the rocks 
uh, one of the probably very first interactions that iron has in the context of developing life is with sulfur and still within us in our cells in our mitochondria you have iron sulfur clusters little tiny tiny little crystals of iron and sulfur in the middle of our proteins uh, still and those iron sulfide iron sulfur complexes they are also re uh, recording those early reduced oceans where iron sulfides, FES, is much more prevalent than in today's oceans which are oxidised. What you do find is in things like the bottom of the Black Sea, what they call these euxinic sort of seas which are sulfide rich. Um, but again, it's recording a very, very different environment. Um, and that is kind of cool. Earth's kind of an annoying planet in some respects. If you're a geologist, it is quite annoying because it's really active. There's not many really old, there's bits of rock from all through Earth's history kicking around the surface, but there's not much. The further you go back, there's less and less of it. It's the, it's the selection pressure for rock, the preservation potential. So actually we don't have a good record of what the Earth was like in the rock record four billion years ago. But it turns out that I think this is kind of an interesting thing. It turns out that life has recorded at least to some extent, the chemistry of the early seas. We don't have bits of the early sea around, but we have it within us. So the, the reason life has used iron so extensively is because that's where it learned. Iron was available when it learned its initial programming back in those Archean seas that contain lots of iron. And then it's had to learn how to deal with an iron loss of 2 billion years and 800 million, 500 million years ago with that Neoproterozoic event. So I found that kind of interesting from a geology perspective. You know, we're all into our rocks. We like going out and looking at rocks, but it turns out that we don't always have the rocks we want. And we might have to look other other evidence of the environment that was around for three and a half, four billion years ago. And that's where life kicks in, you know, because we record within us some of those uh, sort of grand events. Often we're not aware of what goes on in other departments and what their capabilities are. So again, this is one of those, one of those uh, areas or things we, can, we have a common interest, a common story, we can tell a common story, and then we can bring the tools that we have that we're familiar with and answer somebody else's problems or at least try and attack them. And that's exactly what we're doing at the moment. Cross-disciplinary research is just really exciting uh, and it, takes, it actually takes a long time to be able to speak each other's language where even the same words that John would use, uh, that I would use, but we had attached entirely different meanings to them because we're from different fields. So, you know, the, the, the intellectual interaction required some lubrication uh, and time. Uh, but we got there and, and yes, yeah, so then, you know, we did come up with something that I think is interesting. Um, when I presented the, the work to people in my field in biomedicine, they found it very useful to get this perspective of, okay, you know, we've been working on iron for decades, but, you know, why is iron so important? And it really does go all the way back to geology, planetary formation, and then great oxygenation event and taking the iron away. This is where it all comes from. Joking aside, it's really important to sort of step outside your comfort zone and talk to other people and, and find what they do. And, and actually, this is a good occasion of an idle chat over a beer which led to um, something very interesting. This has been Inside Wim. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, like, or review.